James has been the topic of our conversation for the last several weeks. We've been like working through the book just to try to figure out what we need to do to live the way that God has called us to live. And the beautiful thing about James is that it leaves none of us alone. Doesn't matter your age, uh, your gender, your race, your socioeconomic status, like James just gets in all of our business. And uh, four weeks ago, we started by talking about trials and maturity and how trials lead us to maturity. We all want maturity. We don't want the trials, and yet that is the pathway in which uh, God does his best work. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about hearing and doing, what it means for us to actually hear God's word and follow up. And then last week, we talked about kindness and favoritism. And uh, so this morning, uh, James continues to uh, implore us to live a better way when he talks about faith and works. He's talking this morning about what role faith and and works play in our lives. And it's a complicated issue, I think. I think a lot of us wrestle with faith and we wrestle with works. And I think the most difficult thing about a relationship with Christ is that we can't earn salvation. We can't earn grace. We can't earn forgiveness. and, And it drives me crazy. This reality that God loves me not some future version of me, not some perfect image of me, not some me with, you know, long flowing hair, this idea that God loves me for who I am and you for who you are. And he implores us to become more like him in the process, but he loves you for who you are and where you are, and he loves you, and he desires a relationship with you, and you didn't have to change a thing to be loved and accepted by God. And I wrestle with that. I wrestle with the idea that God loves us despite our bad behavior, despite our lack of integrity, despite our uh, bad life choices. God loves us. And, and, And I find it a lot easier to earn something. I would find it a lot easier is that the end of the Bible, like there was like this two page checklist of like 50 items that I had to complete every day. Where, you know, I would have to like read my Bible and pray and like learn to play the trumpet. And it's like, okay, every day I'm going to wake up and, and it might be like 4 a.m. to get all my tasks done. I'm like, I'm learning Spanish and I'm learning this and I'm learning and I'm checking off all these lists because at the end of the day I would know, did I earn it or not? Did I deserve grace or not? Did I, did I do enough? Did I work hard enough to feel like I can rest And yet, what James reminds us of is that we're used to working for things. The things that we own, ideally, are the things that you've saved for and you've worked for and you've strived for, but that's not how God works. That God wants us to rest in him. There are things that require of us, and we'll get into that. But we don't check off a list of things. And if you're a list checker, this is really challenging for you. Faith, on the other hand, is also challenging because we're trusting in something we can't see. We're trusting in a God that we don't see. We see the effects of God. I see God in many of you, not all of you, but many of you. I see uh, God in the, the, the wind, and I see God in the nature, and I see God in how we love and, and, and show compassion, and I see the effects of God. But I don't see God. If I were to ask you right now to pull out a piece of paper and to draw God, what would you draw? We don't have like, we know Jesus, you know, he's obviously white and obviously has long hair and a, and a beard. So we know what the culture has told us Jesus looks like, but what about God? We don't know what God looks like. 
And so we wrestle with this idea that we have faith in a God that we haven't seen and don't really have a clear image of and, and, a, and a system that we don't necessarily uh, know if we, uh, we can't earn, we can't work towards, we can't save enough to purchase. And, and so James steps in and he pens this letter describing the place that works has in faith. Where he begins to carve out for you and I what it looks like for us to work and, and we work towards a goal, and, and working towards something is not a bad thing, by the way. Earning and, and striving and, and, and working towards something is not a bad thing if it's placed in context. And what James does is he places works in context. And in James 2, verse 14, it says, what good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith, but he does not have works, can his faith save him? He's asking these questions, and they're rhetorical questions. He answers them later, and the short answer for now is that faith without works will not save us. Faith without works will not save us. And it would seem that James is contradicting Paul, where in Ephesians, Paul uh, talks about grace and uh, grace alone as salvation. And so it seems like maybe he's contradicting Paul, but he's not. But James and Paul both would agree that we are saved by grace. Everybody say saved by grace. No mistake about it. We are saved by grace. Works are not the basis for salvation, but they are the necessary byproduct of faith. Works are not the basis of salvation, but then the necessary byproduct of faith. If you say you have faith and you trust in God and you obey in him, there is no momentum in your life. If there's no activity in your life, then do you really have faith? What James is saying is, if you want to know the level of faith that you have, let's look at our life. If I were to ask you now, how much faith do you have? You would have to break that down. Like, what do you mean? Like, how much faith do I have in the government? How much faith do I have in my bank account? How much faith do I have in my vehicle uh, as as a viable transportation? How much faith do I have in my marriage? How much faith, what do I have faith in? If I said, how much faith do you have in God? You would have to go, uh, I don't know. I mean, how do we measure? I know right now my battery life is 94% on my iPad. I charged it overnight. Uh, it'll be 90% by the time we're done because the more you use it, uh, the more the level goes down. And you look at your phone, it's the same way. And when we look at our lives and we look at our faith, we're not able to gauge it. There's no battery level. There's no metric. And what James is saying is if you want to know how much faith you have, look at your activity. Look at your life. Look at your bank account. Look at the way you spend your time. Look at the way uh, you use your efforts. You can look at your life and the actions that you uh, use your time to uh, create, and you can tell where your faith is. But a lot of us are more content with talking than we are acting. So I can tell you today that uh, I'm a biker. I'm a, I'm a motorcyclist, I'm a biker, I've got the wave down, you know, when you're driving, you got to throw the wave out there, and, and I can tell you that I'm a, a, a biker, and, and I've, I've searched for motorcycles, I have this dream of having like an 80s Honda, you know, with the flat seat, like one day, I'll, I'll, I'll be a biker, and I can tell you I am, but I don't own a bike, last time I was on one, I crashed it, so don't let me borrow yours, I can tell you that that's what I am, but nothing about my life reinforces the words that I use, I can tell you I'm a surfer, I've never been on a surfboard, and I'm pretty sure I would fall off immediately. I've never been, but I could say it, but my life doesn't reinforce it. And a lot of us are content with saying that we're followers of Christ, 
But if our life is not reinforcing the words that we're using, James would look us in the eye and say, are you really a follower of Christ? Just because you say that you have faith doesn't mean that you have faith. What James is not saying is, now that you have faith, you've got to add works on top of it. What he's not saying is, okay, you follow Christ, well, now let's heap a bunch of things on you. What he's saying is, works is the way that you actually can measure your faith. If you want to know how much faith you have in anything, look at the time you invest in it. Look at the life that you spend around it. If you're uh, constantly spending time working on a vehicle, uh, you're putting a lot of faith in this vehicle and you're working on it. If you're constantly spending time in your marriage, you're working on it, then we're all working towards something and our level of faith is based in the amount of work that we invest in it. So I wrestle with my ability to measure my faith. But I can measure works. But I can't measure faith. And, And James isn't saying that we are saved by works, but that works are the way that we measure our faith in which we are saved. So they go hand in hand. They're interwoven. They're knitted together. We need works to tell us how much faith we have. And and, and then we need faith and grace. And and it works as much like the battery. And if we see it being decreased, if we're starting to treat people poorly, if we're using language that doesn't reinforce our morals, if we're spending time doing things that we know are counterintuitive to the scriptures, then we can begin to see that our faith level in God is low. My actions aren't what charges my faith, though. My faith charges my actions. The more I increase my faith in God, the more that should be reflected in how I behave and what I do. But my actions can charge someone else's faith. It's interesting that as people see you and I living like God has called us to live, it starts to encourage and challenge other people to do the same. If we're out feeding the poor and serving the needy and and we're cleaning up our neighbor's yard or whatever that looks like, and people see that, it inspires them to go, wow, I need to follow through with my words and actions because genuine biblical faith will inevitably be characterized by what we do and how we behave so we can look deep inside ourselves. Works aren't what save us, but they give us a clear indicator of where our faith is. Look at this illustration that James uses in verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? What good is it? He's using this very clear illustration of of people who have clothes and have food, who encounter people who have no clothes and have no food, and they say, go in peace, I hope you're warm, and eat well. And they move on. But they don't actually meet anyone's needs. And he's saying it's pointless. And it's easy for us to do, though, if we're honest. It is. Because all of us in this room... You watching online, ideally, we're not positive, but we're all, we all have clothes. We're all wearing clothes. Just so you know online, we're all wearing clothes in this room. Ideally, you are there. Uh, I think most of us, if not all of us, have had breakfast. In fact, most of us, if not all of us, will have at least three meals today. Some of us, a whole lot more, and that's between you and God. We have food. Our pantries are stocked. Our freezers have meats. We have clothes. We have wardrobes and closets that are full, packed, overflowing. I've got a whole closet for shoes And that's okay, I think. There's this idea that we have a lot. And what happens is when you have a lot, you assume that others have a lot too. When you have a lot, you tend to surround yourself with others who have a lot. We talked about kindness and favoritism last week. 
We surround ourselves around people like us. And so we assume that if I have everything I need and you have everything that you need, then everyone must have everything they need. And when we become insulated in our faith, we lose sight of the reality that there are people very near us who are in need. And when we slide into this bubble of Christianity, bubble of faith, where we're Christians and language only, we stop looking at the world around us and we start saying, be warm and eat well, go in grace, go in peace. And we do so thinking that everyone has the ability to do that. But James says, what good is it for us to say we have faith in Christ if we're unwilling to help those who lack basic necessities? What good does it do anyone if we're passing the poor and the naked and the hungry and we do nothing? James is really just building on his previous messages of hearing and doing and kindness and favoritism. And he's doubling down, tripling down, saying, we've really got to take this serious. And in context, uh, most churches, we hear these words and we think, okay, I've got to do more. I've got to work more. My works should follow with my actions. And so I, I need to read my Bible more and I need to pray more and I need to avoid temptation and live morally. And those are all things that we should do, yes. But these are not the things that James is describing. James isn't saying, hey, the byproduct of your faith in God is going to be that you read your Bible more. The byproduct of your faith, the indicator of your faith level is not that you go to church more often. It's not that you give more money. He's not describing the things that we would imagine to indicate our level of faith He's actually describing things that we would probably not think of, like feeding the poor and meeting the needs of the hungry. The works that James is describing is less attend more Bible studies and more visit more soup kitchens, serve the homeless, give to the needy. James is pulling us out of our super spiritual world and he's forcing us into the real world where people are hurting and they're lost and they're dying. And James often mirrors the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus in Matthew 25, verse 40, says this. And the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me. You were cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 20, or 42, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. The disciples' response is classic. It's the same response we would give. We would have remembered if we had seen you naked. We would have shared with you some of our food if we had just seen you not eating. And Jesus says, I assure you, whatever you do for the least of these, those that aren't able to be here today, those that don't have the means or the resources to even get their lives together enough to know that they need Christ. Whatever you do for the least of these, we're doing it under Christ. So when you pass someone who's homeless and you offer to help, that's Christ. When we feed the poor and the needy, when we donate our clothes, we're doing this as if we're doing this to Christ. In our church, we exist to point people to Jesus. That is the central purpose, and I hope that's abundantly clear. And the way we do this is by serving others. That isn't always an organized opportunity, and we need to do better as a church to have organized outreaches and organized events. And if you're interested in organizing an outreach or organizing a way to engage in community, then let's talk. We need leaders to step up and see a need for this and do this in an organized way. I will admit, as a church, we need to do a better job. However, it's not an excuse for us 
those that attend Embrace Church, to wait for Embrace Church, to organize an event where a leader steps up and plans it, prepares it, we invite people or whatever we do, and then we execute it, and your main job is just to show up and do whatever task you're given. The job that we have been given as followers of Christ on a daily basis is to look for the needs that are all around us, not wait for an organized event, but to every day choose to see your life as an operating mission, as an outreach to the people around you. And if you've been blessed by God, you've been blessed to be a blessing to others. And it's not that we don't need more stuff, and it's not that we don't need a better 401k, or it's not that we don't need a, a, a more elaborate trip, because I think we all need a little bit more of that, but we need to make sure that we are placing all of these things in check. There's nothing wrong with those things, and, and I look forward to vacation coming up for myself, but the idea is we shouldn't wait. We shouldn't all spend our time consistently looking to serve self, but what are we doing to serve others, live a life of faith in which we are showing that we are not a slave to the blessings, but we're grateful for them. And when we are receiving so much, and we all have so much, we become a slave to those things. The things we own end up owning us, and, and we don't see them as being stewards. We're not stewards of them. We're, we're slaves to them, and when we become stewards, we start distributing those things to others. That works is a life of loving God and loving others, and our love for God leads us to a deeper love for others. That our love for God creates an imperfectly executed love for people. Anybody fail at loving God this week? You don't have to raise your hand, but just ask yourself that question. How about fail at loving other people? I have. I've failed at loving others. I've failed at loving God. In fact, I could probably look back and see most days where I've failed at those things, and yet none of us are perfect. But do you know what's beautiful about following Christ? Is that perfection is not the goal. Progress is. Perfection is not the goal, and the reason it's not the goal is because it's not attainable. But progress is, are you loving God and loving people better today than you did yesterday? Are we loving God and serving people better today than we did a year ago? Are we giving more? Are we serving more? Are we loving more? Are we praying more? Are we doing more for others today than we did in the past? Because progress is all about slow, incremental shifts in our lives. When we make perfection our goal, we go, I can't do it anyway, so I'm out. The first mistake we make, we go, well, I couldn't reach perfection anyway, so why try? Perfection's not the goal. Progress is, and if faith without works won't save us, then it's useless. That faith without works is useless. It has no use to us. It's purposeless. And in James 2.17, he says, in the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith from my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. This is a compliment. But the demons also believe, and they actually shudder. Foolish man, exclamation mark. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? There's a lot to unpack here, but one of the things that I want to draw to the forefront is this reality that even the demons believe in God, and they actually shudder. When was the last time that you shuddered at the mention of God's name? I think a lot of us, myself included, we take God for granted. He's there, he loves us, and he's a father's good father, and he's always available. We lose sight of the impact and the power and the magnitude of God. And he's saying, yeah, you may believe in God. Even the demons do that, and it actually affects them viscerally. 
You say you believe in God, but it doesn't actually affect you. Does it change you? Does it mold you? Does it shape you? Does it cause you to second guess the way you treat others, the way you spin, the way you walk, the way you move, the places you go, the things you say? Does it actually have any effect in your life? Because the demons, they shudder at the name of God. And James is saying, okay, you say you have faith, fantastic. Can you show me your faith without works? You can't do it. I can't see it. Then he says, show me your faith without works. It doesn't work. And you may intellectually believe in the person of Christ. But James is asking you to put your money where your mouth is. It's not just about an intellectual understanding or a knowledge of who God is. You may believe in Jesus, but even the demons do that. What is it changing in your life? What distinguishes those that believe intellectually and those who truly have faith in God is our willingness to serve and love others. Intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is will not save you. Knowing about Jesus is not the same as having a relationship with him. That salvation doesn't come from what we learn or it doesn't uh, get to us once we've learned enough or we've uh, contemplated enough or read enough. We're not, we're not in Buddhism. We're not earning. We're not working towards. It's, it doesn't come when we've reached a certain point in our lives. Salvation comes when we fully trust God with every aspect of our hearts, our lives, our, our being. And Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the basis of our salvation, the pathway to Christ is very cl- uh, clear and simple. Romans 10, 9 spells it out for us. He says it's very simple. It, it's, it's confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's at that point that you are saved. And James is saying saved people serve people. If you've been saved, if you've been rescued from a life of sin, if you've been uh, pulled out of selfishness, then it's time to show your faith in God with how we live. And James gives us two examples. One is obvious, one is unbelievable. James says in James 2.21, wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for his righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. It's describing Abraham and the faith that he had in his life. One specific incident was when he picked up Isaac, his own son. God says it's time to sacrifice him and he says, Okay, he gathers up the wood, he throws Isaac on the donkey, he takes him up the hill, they're traveling, he gets to the hill, he binds him up, he prepares an altar, he's got some wood going, he's going to start a fire, and he sharpens the knife, he pulls the knife out, he's going to do what God has asked him to do. Not his faith and that is works. And right before he executes, God spares his son. He wants to see his faith in action. And this example makes sense. James gives us another example, though. In verse 25, he says, in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? What James is describing is he's actually talking about two different scenarios. We have Abraham who uh, is exemplifying faith in every aspect and he's made some mistakes, but uh, he's shown that he believes in God. And then he brings in Rahab. Now, Abraham makes sense, right? We all know the song, Father Abraham and many sons. Many sons said, Father Abraham, I'm one of them, so are you. 
So let's just praise the Lord. I'll just sing it by myself. It's fine, guys. Ah, and then, and then, so we have the Abraham song. We know it. But nobody teaches you Rahab the prostitute songs in VBS. There's no Rahab the harlot had many friends. I mean, there's just not, there's just not that. And maybe we should write it. I'm not advocating either way. But how can James take Abraham and Rahab and put them in the same category? Abraham makes sense. He's the father of many nations. But Rahab, she's a prostitute in Jericho. Technically, she was just an inn owner. So technically, she just ran a, a prostitution house. But she knew what was going on. She's living a life immersed in sin. And in the book of Joshua, Joshua sends spies into the city, uh, and they need a place to hide. And so she's like, hey, come in here. I'll hide you in here. And God uses this woman who is living actively in sin to hide spies in a working brothel. And James likely uses Rahab and Abraham to prove that faith, wherever it is sincere and wherever it is genuine, bears fruit. Not only in older, stronger Christians like Abraham, but in people like Rahab. So we have this spectrum where we have Abraham, a model of faith, and then we have Rahab, who is the opposite And we can all find ourselves on that spectrum, can't we? We can all find ourselves, if we were thinking of a spectrum of Abraham to Rahab, we got uh, father of many nations and uh, brothel owner, and we're like, where are we? Some days we're a little over here, and some days we're a little over here, but we can find ourselves on the spectrum that God didn't just use the Abrahams of the world, but he uses the Rahabs too. And that should make all of us excited. Because even though I don't think any of us run a, a brothel in this room, I believe we've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of God's grace. We've all found ourselves at some point in another immersed in sin, and James uses a woman of ill repute to demonstrate the grace of God in her life. No class of people are beyond God's grace. None of us are too far gone, and we prove our faith by our actions. When we act on our faith, our faith grows. And when we do not act on our faith, our faith actually atrophies. It's much like your human muscle. If you were to not walk anymore, your legs would start to atrophy. And at some point, it would become nearly impossible, if not impossible, to self-correct because your muscles have deteriorated to such a point where you can't come back. And a lot of us, our faith is an atrophy because it's not an action. It's not an active thing that we're working in. And you may be waiting for that list of things that you need to do to be accepted by God. But Rahab proves there's anything and everything possible you can do. And it still does not put you in a category of people who cannot deserve God's grace. There's nothing that we need to manufacture. That the reason faith without works is useless is because faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. In James 2, it says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. For just as the body is without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. James is saying there are people who attend churches who are faithful and they support church, but they don't love God and they don't love people. There are people who are more devoted to the idea of being a Christian and aren't actually following through what God is calling us to do. There are supplements for the Bible where we talk more about our rights than our responsibilities and we've lost sight of what God is inviting us into. There are things that people are saying and preaching and I go, did you even read the Bible? It doesn't even feel like it's in alignment. And I don't want to scare you, but I want to motivate you. I don't want to motivate you to do more stuff, but I want you to allow your faith to be evident in the way that you live your life. 
evident in the way that you love and you serve the people around you, that if you have faith in God, it should change the way you live. And the beauty of this is that we don't have to manufacture works. The beauty is we don't all have to get up and go, well, I better go visit a soup kitchen today. I feel super guilty. But we don't have to get up and go, well, I better go find somebody homeless that I can give a couple of dollars to. I gotta go to the ATM to get money out because I don't carry cash. But I better do it today because I feel like I have to do something with this information. And the beautiful thing about James is he's saying, you don't have to manufacture it. In fact, when we look in the scriptures and we see people trying to manufacture works, it never works out. You remember Cain and Abel? Abel gives the fatted portion. He gives the good stuff to God because of his love and his compassion to God. And Cain just merely shows up. He throws some stuff out there and says, here you go, God. I'm doing what you said. Take it. And God says, I'm not accepting it. That a lot of times when we come to God and we go, well, I'm just going to do something because I have to. I better hurry up. God says, that's not accepted. We don't have to force works. Works are a byproduct of our love for God. And as we fall deeper in love with God, our actions change. That James is not saying stop doing that and start doing this. He's saying chase after God with all of your heart and watch how your speech and your actions change for the better. So if there are things in your life that don't align with your beliefs and the scriptures, we need to let them go. If there are areas of your life, behavior, activity, speech, language, the things that you consume, the things that you put out, if it does not align with God, it's time that we take an ax to it and we cut it out. You can measure your faith by the way you love others and by the way you live, by the byproduct of your life. And so if you want to know where your faith is in God, then look at your life. We can begin to look at how we use our time and our resources. Do we honor and glorify God? Do we serve him in, in all areas? Or do we still have a couple of things that we've held for ourselves? I like that. I like going, well, here you go, God. You can have a little bit of this, but leave this alone. This one's still for me. It's not hurting anybody. It's just a little thing. I'm just going to hold on to it. This one's just going to be for me. And you can, you can have this. I'll actually give more money if you'll just leave this part of my life alone. I'll serve more. But just let me have this. And God's saying, I want all of it. I want all of your heart. I want all of your mind. I want your life. Just lay it before me. Hold nothing back for self. And let's follow Christ in thought, word, deed, and action, serving others the way that God has called us to serve. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Father in heaven, ruler of the universe, you've actually called us to radical loyalty beyond all earthly claim. So God, grant us the strength to offer ourselves to you as people who have been raised from death to life through Jesus Christ. who lives and reigns with you forever. Father, bring to our awareness areas of our life that displease you, areas of our life that don't align with how you've called us to live, areas of our life that would actually be counterintuitive, where when we say we're a Christian, when we say we follow Christ, does everything else reinforce that? If not, God, give us the courage to cut those things out of our life. Give us the strength to move forward in a life with you where we're serving and loving the way you've called us to. So Father, we thank you. We thank you that you don't leave us alone, that you keep calling us to better, to more, because you love us. You don't want to leave us in our sin. You don't want to leave us in our selfishness or our pride, but you want to call us to more. So God, we hear the call, we answer the call, and we step in. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, if you would, let's stand and sing together.